If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, March 22nd, the technological dystopia edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I am the father of Eliza, who is seven years old, and Leo, who is three and three quarters. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and I have a stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a journalist, writer, and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we've got a question from a caller whose nine-year-old daughter is suddenly addicted to an educational video game. And we've got a follow-up call from the mom who was considering whether to send her chickenpox-riddled child to infect the children of some anti-vaxxers. If you'd like to hear more about that controversial question, stay tuned. Uh, Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations. On Slate Plus, author and radio host Brady Carlson will join us to talk about how he has programmed his smart speaker to help make their mornings easier. But first, triumphs and fails. Carvel, you want to go first? Yeah, I I have a triumph, or rather, Georgia has a triumph, and I just get to be the the happy bystander. But um, in her uh, middle school, she of her own accord was somehow thrust into this position of leadership in her school because her school has this restorative justice program, which is a conflict mediation program in which they select certain kids to act as conflict mediators when things jump off on the playground or in the cafeteria between various kids. And so uh, I don't remember if Georgia got sort of one of the teachers was like, I think you'd be good at this. And she agreed. And this was at the beginning of the year. And she's been doing it ever since. And she does like mediate conflicts at school between groups of kids. And she like is responsible for helping to enter the data and what the issues were and what the resolution was that they came to and following up. And uh, then she announced that she was going deeper into this world and is now joining like an extra leadership program that involves taking classes on conflict mediation and restorative justice at local uh, educational institution, Mills College. And so tomorrow we have to get her to school early because she's going to the Mills College thing and she's going to like get this advanced training and um, she's kind of doing all this on her own. And then the other day she announced when I was in the car that she had applied to do some summer engineering program for STEAM principals and um, and then went on a whole tangent about why is arts now included in steam but then we got back to the point and she was like yeah i applied for this thing and i was like you didn't even tell me you were doing this she was like i don't know i just didn't know if it was gonna happen or not but so like and so she's like setting up her summer plans and she's doing all this extracurricular stuff that has to do with like restorative justice and leadership and she's just kind of taking the ball and running with it and it's just super impressive and so i just want to give her a shout out here on the show to our many listeners georgia is continues to be awesome Nice. That's amazing. It is amazing, right? Yeah. Setting up setting up her own summer activity. I 
I do think yeah, it's seventh good. grade, just doing the thing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and and it's like it's cool because I mean, there's there's definitely stuff that Georgia does and ways that Georgia is that are difficult for me and her mom. But um, it, I the thing that I'm most uh, am, am interested in and amazed. Both the kids actually have this is confidence. They both have a lot of confidence and clarity about their ability to go out and do stuff. I mean, they both have their areas where they struggle. Georgia has like certain amount of anxiety about certain things. And Ezra, as we've talked about numerous times in the show, struggles with executive functioning and all the fallout from that. But uh, I noticed compared to me when I was both of their ages, they have a tremendous amount of just kind of baseline confidence, like like a, like a feeling that they can go out in the world and do stuff should they want to and that they're just going to go ahead and do it and why wouldn't they? And I just find that so impressive. And I think if I could, if, if me and Joe can toot our own horns, I think that does reflect well on some level on some aspect of our parenting, which we don't quite know what it is, but I know it's good. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the way they're, you know, like with kids, there's like a lot of stuff that you can worry about, but then every once in a while you get to take a step back and go, oh, these kids are actually doing okay. And uh, this is one of those moments. That's great. Congratulations. Thanks. Rebecca, is this one of those moments for you or is it one of the more frequent moments <laughs> when you no. wonder how it's all going to work out? <laughs> no, it's one of those moments too. I mean, I think that um, – this isn't, again, not my triumph, but I've been in touch the last couple of weeks with the adults in Henry's life. He's in D.C. right now as a Senate page, as you know. So he's going to school down there at the page program and he's working every day. And uh, we got calls from all four of the teachers and the headmaster um, and, you know, heard feedback about his work and also his academic stuff in D.C. And he is doing so incredibly well that, um, you know, he's really standing out, which is, you know, surprising and great. I mean, there are 30 standout kids in this program and he's just he's crushing it. He's got like a 98 average. He's planning to take five AP tests. He's, you know, prepping for the SAT. He's maintaining this full time job. Um, And, you know, what's really the triumph for me is that he's also going to Target to buy the snacks he likes. He's doing his laundry. He's um, just sort of functioning in the world. Like if he wants trail mix, he takes it upon himself to go to buy trail mix. He needs film for his Polaroid camera. He goes and buys film for his Polaroid camera. He's not asking for anything. Um, but the thing that I wanted to to say was the sort of triumphant moment in the last couple of weeks was you know, in, in response to the feedback he got from one of his teachers, his um, government teacher there, that he has... You know, the teacher was just saying he's doing so well and he has this demonstrated passion for this subject that is really above and beyond. And it's clear that he's had other good teachers in this area. So, you know, I did something that I think I wish I did more and that I think I'm going to try to do more, which is I wrote to his history teacher at his regular high school and relayed this feedback to him. I said, you know, I know that you are the teacher that instilled this passion in Henry for history, for government, for democracy, for all the stuff that's got him interested in doing this program. And he's just excelling there. And I just want to let you know that you played a huge part in his success here. And I just want to thank you. Um, It's something that I think you should know. And he sent me an email back. It was so lovely. And, you know, the email started with, 
you know, this really made my year. I can't tell you how many emails I get from parents that aren't this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so, yeah, it's just a great reminder, you know, give feedback to the adults who are doing right by your kids when they do right by your kids. You know, after I sent this email to him, I called the headmaster at the page school and just told her how just happy I am with the program and all the great feedback that Henry gives me. And she's like, this is the first great call I've gotten this week. And it's like, these people get no positive feedback. So I don't know. I felt really good. It made me feel really good to be able to share that kind of feedback. And it's something that I'm going to be mindful of doing more of going forward because, you know, we get a lot of questions on this show about dealing with schools and dealing with teachers and difficult situations. But Sometimes it's awesome, and I think it's really important to share that. And my triumph is that I did that. It felt great, and it taught me something about trying to do it more often. I think that's a great advice. Yeah. All right. I have a fail. It's a fail that took place within a larger, basically successful project. Um, If you were listening to the show last week, you remember that this past weekend, uh, my wife and Eliza went off to – You remember that my wife and Eliza went off on a trip and left Leo and me at home alone. Uh, For dude time. For dude time. For dude time. I had framed this to him as dude time. This is not we are being abandoned by your mother and and sister. This is uh, we're going to have some awesome dude time. Uh, And we did basically have some really good dude time. We did his favorite things. On Saturday, we went to Barnes & Noble, which is his favorite place to go. And we sat on the floor and read a million books. And we came home with a book and a toy. And we ate a Shake Shack and had a chocolate. We shared a chocolate milkshake. And it was super fun. And then on Sunday, I set up a play date with his best friend from, from preschool and the best friend's dad. And we went to the Fire Museum, the New York Fire Museum. And this was what Leo had most requested that he wanted to do because we have a picture that he likes to look at of his big sister at around his age, at around three, from when we went on a trip to Hudson, New York, and we visited the Hudson Fire Museum. And there's a picture of Eliza, age three, with a fire helmet and a fire jacket on top of a fire engine, like driving a fire engine. And Leo has always seen this picture and said, I want to go to the fire museum. I want to go to the fire museum. So, of course, we're not going to go all the way up to Hudson, New York, but uh, there's a fire museum in Manhattan. And I set it up with his friend Holden and Holden's dad. And we all went to the fire museum and it was going to be great. The fail is the New York Fire Museum is kind of a dud. I'm really sorry to have to tell you that. Um, (laughs) What? Here's here's what they don't have at the New York Fire Museum. Any contemporary fire machines or vehicles, like any fire engine that looks like a fire engine you know, as opposed to like a wooden wagon with a huge coal boiler that was pulled by horses (laughs) to put out fires in 1906 or whatever. Here's another thing that they don't have at the New York Fire Museum. Anything that you're allowed to touch or climb on. Whoa. So it ended up being like Holden's dad and me did actually learn quite a lot about the history of firefighting. (laughs) And and I, I won't say it wasn't quite interesting. But if you've brought two three-year-olds who have been told that they're going to get to climb on a fire engine, um, they are not super happy. And, and he held it together. He didn't have a tantrum. But it, mostly what we did was like watch these two boys running in and out of the displays that they're not allowed to touch, chasing each other and screaming. The other thing is that the, the New York Fire Museum, appropriately enough, has a lot of 
sentimental 9-11 memorial displays. Of course. Oh. Which, of course, have yeah. pictures of all of the firefighters who lost their lives on 9-11. Uh, and in, in some cases, um, burning candles, like ordinary household-type candles that are, are permanently uh, blazing. And and there are a lot of signs saying, this is a memorial to our heroic dead. Please control your children. Wow. And I, I understand why you would want to commemorate those heroic firefighters. And at the same time, there was nobody in there who wasn't with a three-year-old boy. Like, <laughs> what is the function of this place if not a place for parents to take their three-year-old boys? Um, so New York Fire Museum, kind of a bust. Apologies to the New York Fire Department. I appreciate all the great work you do saving lives. Um, and I'm sorry to be talking down your museum on our podcast. Uh, on the other hand, after we left the fire museum, we walked past a store where they had millions of Pez dispensers in the window. So we went into the store and uh, Leo and his friend Holden each got a Pez dispenser with a picture of uh, or a head of Jake from Jake and the Neverland Pirates on it. Um, <laughs> and when his mom got home and asked him what was his favorite part of dude time, he said, I got a Pez machine of Jake from Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Um, so that, you know, four ninety nine expenditure um, was enough to redeem the outing, the disappointing outing to the New York Fire Museum. Um, and that was my dude time fail. Interesting. Wow. Have you ever have you ever been to the Subway Museum? I don't even know if it's still there. I went to the Subway Museum at some point like 15 years ago, maybe even more. Um the I I don't know if it still exists. Is that a thing that you that It is. is yeah, the New York New- Transit Museum in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um have yeah, you- that's great. They have old subway cars from all the different eras of the MTA and you can and run around in the subway cars and look at the old ads and stuff. It's cool and I've taken him there, but he's been there I think enough times that like right. going on those subway cars no longer quite does it for him. There has to be that one museum that you go When I was a kid it was the cuz I was grew up in DC partially and it was the National Air and Space Museum that we went to uh, every time it rained during summer camp and we couldn't go to the pool or do any of the other outdoor activities, they'd always haul us off to the National Air and Space Museum. And I feel like we went there a million times. And yet I never fully grew tired of it. But that's because it's a much more magnificent museum. But it's always good to find that one thing that, uh, that you know, even if the kids are kind of bored, that they still will at least tolerate Yeah, um, when, there's, mm. when, when all else fails. We are falling into the trap of making that a store, unfortunately. It's often yeah. Barnes & Noble or our, <laughs> our local independent bookstore. Well, and so we just take them to the bookstore. <laughs> and you can like sit around and read in a bookstore. It's great. Bookstores are right. lovely. Everybody should go to bookstores. But then it's hard to get out of there without buying something. And also you're being kind of a dick if you go to your local independent bookstore and try to get out of there without buying after having entertained your children for two hours. True story. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question you want us to answer on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at momanddad at slate.com. 
Uh, I want to tell you about another great Slate show, Slate Money, a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the worlds of business and finance, featuring journalist Felix Salmon and political risk consultant Anna Shemansky. Coming up this week on the show, they talk to Tim Fernholtz about Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and why billionaires are suddenly obsessed with rockets. That's Slate Money, wherever you get your podcasts. As a reminder, we have moved our Facebook presence. If you'd been a follower of the Mom and Dad Are Fighting page, you should now join the Slate Parenting group on Facebook. It's much more active than our old page. You can find it by going to Facebook and searching for Slate Parenting. Looking forward to seeing you there. On Slate Plus today, we're going to talk to Brady Carlson. He's a host and reporter for Wisconsin Public Radio. He has an amazing system for using his smart speaker to get the kids out of the door in the morning. If you want to hear him explain how to do it, Sign up for Slate Plus. It's a great way to help support the show. For just $35 your first year, you get an extended ad-free episode of this show and a lot of our other great podcasts and a bunch of other awesome benefits. If you want to support Mom and Dad Are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, back to the show. All right. Uh, we have now a question that came into us over email from a listener uh, who only signed herself mom wanting less prodigy more moderation dear mom and dad are fighting my nine and a half year old daughter has always been a voracious reader and someone who could spend hours in her room alone creating an elaborate project but all of a sudden in the past couple of months things have changed she suddenly seems to be addicted to the siren song of a game called prodigy We've always been pretty firm about screen time, 20 minutes a day after she finishes homework and chores, and it was never something she pushed back on, but now she's begging us constantly to trying to negotiate extra minutes, hours, whatever she can get of Prodigy. This is a computer math game that her school uses and she downloaded the free version on her Chromebook at home. Basically, she has to complete a math problem to progress to the next level, and once she does, she gets to play a role-playing game with a Pokemon-style wizardry theme. My daughter is trying to convince us this game is educational, but I have seen the math problems they give her, and I know they are not challenging for her. And frankly, math is a pretty small part of the game. Also, the gimmick is that they immediately start hitting the player up to pay for a special $50 annual membership fee that will allow them to unlock additional levels. My daughter knows we'd never pay for this, and she has begged us to let her use her own money. If we let her pay, I think she'll become even more obsessed with the game and resentful that we won't give her unlimited time with a game that she has paid a significant portion of her savings to upgrade. She seems completely drawn into this game and wants to do it above all else in the world, even above reading, which used to be her obsession to the point where we used to have to force her to put down a book during dinner. My daughter is already an inside kid and not the most verbal, conversational person, so I'm worried that this addiction to a computer game is going to make her retreat even further into herself. My question's for you. Once my daughter has finished her homework and has done her chores, should she get to play this game at will? Should she get as much time with it as she wants on weekends? What about when she has friends over? Should we let her pay for the annual membership? How do you set limits for a kid who is basically doing everything she needs to be doing, but her gut instinct is telling us that all this screen time just isn't healthy for the kind of kid she is? Thanks so much for a fabulous podcast. Signed, Mom Wanting Less Prodigy, More Moderation. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, you want to go first? <laughs> well, you know, a couple things come to mind. One is that, um, you know, you are in charge of that. So if you want there to be a limit, it really is a question of you just deciding that there should be. You can say an hour a day or 45 minutes a day or whatever. But the thing that I think you are discovering, which I also discovered around the same age that your daughter is, is that 
These video games are not simply screen time for kids anymore. They are social spaces. They are what is their events happening in the kids' lives. Um, a lot of times, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at the website for this game. I don't know how much interactivity there is, sort of co-signing where your your daughter can interact with her friends there. Um, but a lot of times, they are the gathering spaces where kids actually get together to do something together when we were growing up it used to be the mall uh that we used to just like take the bus there and meet up and now it's like let's meet up on the game let's meet up in the xbox live let's meet up um you know in um minecraft you know and and do minecraft together that is it's a social space so i think it's important when setting limits to understand the meaning of this game in your daughter's life? Is it just an activity that she's addicted to or is she getting something out of it that is part of her life that you can't quite see because you're viewing it simply as screen time? Decoding that can be really, really helpful. There are some activities that uh, my son Teddy in particular does on screens. I call it sort of the passive activities, watching YouTube videos, for instance, that are screen time. You know, he gets stuff out of it. Sometimes he learns stuff. He learns to play songs in the bass. He learns pop culture stuff, whatever. But it's also just a passive, non-social, non-pro-social activity. And I'm comfortable limiting that stuff. I'm comfortable saying, turn it off now. We need to go somewhere. Turn it off now. It's time for dinner. When he's in a game, um, whether it's a game he's playing by himself that involves levels and it actually completing a task or whether he's in there with other people actually communicating either by chat or on, you know, through voice, you I am sensitive to the fact that I am interrupting a, a social interaction when I set limits. So I set limits on it as if I'm setting limits on a social interaction, the same way you would tell, tell your kids if they were playing a game of, you know, um, street hockey on the street, you know, you have to come in and they say, just let me just finish the, we have to finish this, you know, game. And then you say, OK, because it's a game and they're playing it like I, I try to think a little bit more along those lines. So what I would say is it is up to you what kind of limits you want to set. I don't think you need to get an answer from a, a podcaster for that. But I think that what I'm what I'm hearing you ask is. What is the key? Why is this important to her? Uh, if I set limits, am I am I taking away something else? Because I think you are sort of understanding that it's more than just an addictive screen time thing for her. She's getting something from it. So I would say try to understand what that is. Whatever limits you decide to set, frame them around what this actually is for her and what role it's playing in her life rather than it just being her staring at a screen and doing something that you don't understand. Yeah, I mean, I I I hundred percent agree with that, and I think I I deeply echo that same <clears throat> sort of like distinction that needs to be made between you know what she's getting from it and what you think is happening. That those are two different things, and that is one of the things about kids growing up is that those things the 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 distance between what we see and what they're experiencing it widens over time. That's the difficult part. While trying to parent kids as they age, you know, I, um, I, the one of the sentences in this letter s- s- jumped out at me, which is that she had twenty, she was able to limit screen time to twenty minutes a day after she finishes homework and chores, and I feel like you kind of have to kiss that goodbye. Like those days are over, where when you can limit your kid to twenty minutes of screen time over the course of a day, we. We wish that they weren't over, but the cat's out of the bag, the toothpaste out of the tube, 
the bell has been rung and it can't be unrung. And that's un- – I mean there's a lot of sort of ways you could say that sucks because it does. But my experience with both of these kids is that the stuff that we admire – we have these values for our kids. We have this vision of how our kids are going to be. Like our awesome kid is going to like read all the time and they're going to go outside and they're going to make projects in their room and they're going to listen to what we say and they're going to eat healthy food and carrots and that's what they're going to do. And those things feel important to us, almost like life or death and and – and there's a period of time in which we can have success with those things or so it seems. But then the problem is that as kids age, they age out of doing what we want in a lot of ways. Not 100%. They then start doing other stuff that we want and didn't even know we wanted. But Or, or we start to recognize that they're actually awesome in these other ways that we hadn't even predicted. But the what I hear in this letter is a mother who was like, I had these values and my kid reflected these values and they, and I was really into them. Even the thing about like, um, you know, she read so much that we had to tell her to put down the book to come to dinner. A lot of parents, that's like a humble brag for a lot of parents, right? That's like a feeling of like, haha, my kid is do is like so good at the thing that we all want our kids to be doing that it's like a problem, <laughs> you know? And like, I think a lot of us feel that way. And that's a problem we would like to have. The reality is that it just doesn't last. It, it just doesn't. And, and I mean, it, I, you can feel powerless that the school introduced this to your kid, which is what I would feel. And now it's turning into this thing. But again, like if that's where you are now. And so, um, I think you have to kiss 20 minutes of screen time a day. Goodbye. That's not going to last. And, um, and, uh, and even if you're able to sort of like hitch together some kind of discipline thing where you can squeeze six more months out of that, that's not going to go on forever. The kid's not going to be 15 watching 20 minutes of screen time a day. Um, and so I agree with Rebecca that you can set limits on how much screen time they watch, but, but, or, or they take in, but that has to be in response to what she's actually getting from this game. Cause it, it is important to her for a reason. And it's not just the math and education, uh, cause you probably are right in conceding that the, that the level of like academic rigor is not like worth the screen time. Um, but there's something that is important for her about this. And so I think it would be helpful to find out what that is and let your limits be placed around that. The final thing I'll say is that um, if you – this thing about whether or not she should spend her own money to buy something to, to upgrade the game. This is a common parenting dilemma when kids have their own savings from birthdays, Christmases, allowances, what have you. When, you know, they're like, buy us this candy. And you're like, I'm not buying you the candy. They're like, well, can I buy the candy? And you're like, yeah, like, I don't, that's now they've sort of painted you into a corner. My advice in this specific situation is that if she wants to spend the money to buy this, you should let her because it is her money and she gets to make decisions with it. And that is the lesson we're trying to teach is that you get to make decisions with your money and see the consequences. But also be clear that buying the upgrade doesn't mean that you're going to get more screen time. It's still going to be whatever you set. Let's say you upgrade to 30 minutes a day or 40 minutes a day or whatever. Like, so you can spend your $50 on this, but you're still only going to be able to play for this amount of time. So just consider that. And if she does spend the $50 and then she's disappointed because it's not, it, she's not getting her money's worth, her bang for her buck, then that's a lesson learned. You already knew what the terms of the agreement were at the beginning. You went into them knowing it and you made your decision, your financial decision. And maybe next time you'll think more carefully. That would be how I would handle that situation. Okay, number one, you guys are obviously both completely right. Number two, this is really sad. This really makes me really sad. 
as a guy whose kid is a little younger than the letter writer's kid and and much younger than you guys' kid uh, and who has not yet run into this and, and you know, the, we have some whining around how much TV do we get to watch or whatever. Certainly they get to watch more than 20 minutes, but we're able to set limits and, and it basically works. And and we haven't come against come up against this gaming problem. Um, and the idea that like well everything Carvel said it just makes me really sad. Um, and that's you know too bad for me. Life is sad sometimes. <laughs> uh, the one the one other thing that I would add is um, the reason like yes it's very important. You guys are right. Very important to understand what it is that she's getting out of this game. Very important to like not say, well, this is garbage and you want to do it for meaningless, pointless garbage reasons. Like try to understand what it means to her, what place it occupies in her mind. Is it a social thing? Is it an aesthetic thing? What is fulfilling to her about it? It's obviously not the bullshit math. On the other hand, like a big part of the reason it's so compelling to her is because it was deliberately designed by very smart adults to be compelling to her in order that she would want to give them her $50. Like this is a commercial product made to be addictive to children in order to make money for somebody being smuggled into your home via the school system through this bullshit, shallow mathematical education thing uh, and that makes Carvel said I would probably feel powerless about that. I feel powerless about it, and I also feel profoundly angry and profoundly worried. And there's a way in which we should maybe consider, like, if your kid really wanted to shoot heroin or or drink booze. Um, would you, would we just say, well, you have to understand that it's a social thing for her and it fits into her life in all of these complicated ways? Well, we might try to understand that, but we would also want to understand that this is a profound addiction that can be very harmful and damaging to our children and that we, they maybe need us to protect them from even when it's something that they deeply want and are, are yearning for. Um, and there's a case to be made that you should treat this in that same category. Obviously, it's not as dangerous as shooting heroin or for a child to be drinking alcohol. Um, but it is addictive in in a way that – well, it, it is compulsive in a way that seems to have some analogy to, to physical addiction. Um, and it's something that um, I don't blame you for being worried about and concerned about. Uh, and as you negotiate the expanded limits that Rebecca and Carvel are absolutely right, you're going to end up having to negotiate. Um, that's something to keep in mind to make you feel as sad and angry as it makes me feel. Hope that was helpful. It was. I would. I would say you. You actually just made a great case for for doing that, like daily conversation about like what happened in the game today. What did you do today? Like, like pretend the game for you is as important as the interactions they have in real life. Have your kid talk about it. Right now, Teddy's on this Dungeons and Dragons kick. He started this like Dungeons and Dragons club at school that he's going to every Friday. They've been doing like Dungeons and Dragons sleepovers. I don't get it. I never played Dungeons and Dragons. I know it's a big thing, but like I talk to him about it. I ask him questions about it and we converse about it like it's an experience he had. And when I acknowledge that it's an experience he had, he wants to tell me about it. And I'm talking about like a real life game here, but video games is something that is so scary to parents for all the reasons you just laid out. And you're not wrong. There are people who have serious issues with with addiction and they are designed that way. I agree. It's a problem. But when you open up that conversation from the beginning, 
then your kid talks to you about it, then they will actually listen to you when you have those concerns and when you are transparent about it making you worried or it making you sad. They'll want to continue talking to you about it in a way that they won't if you don't have that conversation. So you're not wrong, Gabe, but I'm saying you made a better case for that conversation and that understanding. Yeah. I. The other thing I would say, I mean, I agree with that. I agree with all that's been said, actually. And the, the other thing I would say is that, you know, this letter reminds me a lot of Georgia, the way that Georgia's like progress through growing up from ages six to where she is now at 12 and seventh grade. So she was the voracious reader. She was the one who always did the stuff that you wanted, like kind of humbly brag to all your friends that your kid did because she was always doing this awesome stuff. And she then, once she discovered these like math, educational math games or whatever, she got super duper obsessed with them and it was super stressing us out. And um, we did not like it and we were not impressed with the level of quote unquote education and having words in tech, I was completely aware that it was that like, the entire UX experience was designed to create um, an addictive response in the kids. And I was very unhappy about the whole thing. And it, I felt powerless and angry and all, and so forth about it. And so um, what we did, um, because but at the same time, I also recognized the reality of raising a kid is that um, is that absolute um, abstinence is very difficult to to execute and enforce. It just isn't so it's just like so that's like the balance you have to strike so one of the things that we did with georgia was like we were honest about these things i mean she was old enough at nine to understand like yeah there's like this is kind of the the, here's some of this part of this game that you maybe don't understand and this is why we're worried about it etc etc and um not that she was like oh well now that you've explained this to me in a common rational way i too feel you know suspicious of this it was sort of like in one ear and out the other but it i feel like it stayed with her because the other thing that i think we often forget when our kids are really young, but we recognize when our kids have been through a lot of stuff is that things come and then they go away. Like Georgia was really obsessed with like Minecraft and then it went away. It just was done. And like, and we even joke about the thing that comes every year or every six months and is like the, the chief obsession of every kid ages eight to nine in the entire country and then is gone the next week, you know, just disappears. And that's what we found with Georgia. Like, I mean, here's a kid who's like signing up for like summer engineering programs and you know what I mean? And is like doing is like signing up to be like a conflict resolve person in her school. And this is the same person that we were super worried of that once she, these games got a hold of her, she was never going to leave the den of her room. But what happened was she got bored with it. She recognized that it wasn't really going anywhere. She recognized that it was actually kind of lame. She recognized that she was wasting her time with it after a certain point, after she explored what there was to explore. And I think that had everything to do with the fact that we said, you know, this is our experience with this stuff. And this is why we think these games are ultimately kind of a dead end, but you go see for yourself. And she was able to see, I think that helped her reach a point where she was like, huh, I'm no longer getting satisfaction out of this. And maybe it does have to do with the fact that there isn't really a whole lot of there there with this game. And so I wonder what's next. So I think that one, I just think that like one of the things I feel like now having older kids that I didn't know having younger kids is that the level of control that I thought was necessary to keep things going smoothly is a lot less than I originally intended because they end up doing a lot of stuff on their own. Thank you, Carvel. That's actually very helpful and reassuring to me. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I want to acknowledge too, it's, yeah, it's terrifying. Like it is, it's fearful and terrifying. It, It really does feel that way as a parent. And 
I mean, this is I hear this in young the 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 questions of young parents all the time. It's just terrifying. It feels like everything in the world is conspiring against your kids' emotional and mental and spiritual health. And you have to constantly be batting these terrible things away and then other ones come. It just it is terrifying. That's a very hard part about raising kids. Um in that spirit, I want to say one thing to Rebecca, which is that I played Dungeons and Dragons quite avidly as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it will surprise yeah. no one to learn that I played Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> quite avidly as a teenager. My what? parents were a little sort of baffled by it. Like what, like they weren't, you know, there were, there were uh, Christian families who were afraid that it was a satanic game and my family was not Christian and didn't have that particular set of fears. Uh, but they didn't really get what it was that me and my friends were doing this whole time. Um I now feel as an adult that Dungeons and Dragons is by far the healthiest activity that a teenager could possibly take <laughs> up. And, and I would love to have time in my life to play it as an adult. And if my kids ever play it, it will be hard for me not to get overly involved in a way that would ruin it for them. Um, but <laughs> Good to it, hear. it involves like imagination and storytelling and uh, social interaction and negotiation. And it's just great preparation for life, I think. Um, yeah. And, like, I hope Teddy's really having a good time with it and keeps doing it. <laughs> he loves it. He's wearing his uh, whatever-it-means-crit-happens T-shirt today to school. So I don't know what it means, but I know it's a Dungeons & Dragons thing. So <laughs> Nice. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. We have now some follow-up from a listener. We took a question a few weeks back uh, from a listener whose child has chickenpox and who was wondering if she should send that child to daycare at the request of the crazy anti-vax parents who wanted their children to be infected with chickenpox. Uh, we gave our answers, which were which ranged from ask your pediatrician first to Jesus Christ, no, what are you thinking? Are you crazy? <laughs> well, can I just say, can I just say, I was not on the show that week. So can I weigh in with my, Jesus Christ, what are you thinking? Are you crazy? No right. way should you do that. Okay, oh I'm on God. the record now. So Rebecca is, is now on the record on, on, <laughs> on team Jesus Christ, what are you thinking? Uh, yes. Which is, of course, the best team. Um, we There was a lively discussion um, of, of that uh, segment and that question on the Facebook group, uh, slate.com slash groups slash Slate Parenting. Uh, you could still go back and, and leave a comment on that thread. But People you don't are. need to because it's been resolved. Everyone just move the hell on, please. But now at last we can, I think, close the loop because uh, the, the original caller has, has left a follow-up voicemail, which we will play for you now. Hi, this is Micah. I'm calling to tell you the end of the chicken pox tale. Um, so thank you for taking my question and – we ended up going through a lot of the same, hitting a lot of the same points that you did in our discussion at home. Uh, as for the school itself, we like it for a lot of other reasons and uh, just engage in healthy debate on the topics that we don't agree with. Uh, as for getting other kiddos sick, uh, seems like from the research that we did that they would get more sick if they were exposed 
at a later age. Um, and so we ended up deciding that he would be willing to send our son um, to expose kids that, whose parents agreed. Um, so when I called back the daycare provider, she said the other parents had not all agreed, but she would still like her daughter to be exposed. And we tried to set up a date for the weekend to do that. Um, but by the time that that rolled around, um, two things. One, my husband was coming down with something else, we thought. And um, additionally, my kiddo's spots were fading. So we thought, ah, let's hold off. Then my husband ended up getting spots. So we sent him him in to get him checked out at the doctor. Um, they tested for chicken pox, and we didn't find out for several days, but it was not chicken pox. Uh, they said maybe hand, foot, and mouth, although it didn't look like the hand, foot, and mouth that my son had gotten the year before. And his pediatrician said, you know, viruses sometimes cause pox. So, um we ended up not exposing anyone else to mystery spots. We kept everyone quarantined until things were faded and scabbed over. Uh, so we'll just see if this ever comes up again. All right, thanks. Okay, uh, thanks for the call. Um, I, I got to say, I do feel like that outcome vindicates the no, you shouldn't send your child who a bunch of non-doctors have diagnosed with chicken pox to uh, preschool with uh, unvaccinated kids position. Yeah, I also have to say that no one was arguing against that position. I feel that Allison and I were unfairly railroaded into a position that neither of us took. Both of us were like, this sounds fucking idiotic. This whole thing is fucking stupid. I believe the cockamamie was a word that I used, which is not a word I bring out unless I really think something is off the rails. And I specifically said cockamamie. I remember that moment. And uh, and all we said was, I mean, maybe, I guess, ask your pediatrician, but this sounds stupid to me. And then somehow that turned into, what? Allison and Carvel are anti-vaxxers? What the hell? <laughs> just like, come on. <laughs> I, I, did you mean like ask your pediatrician so he can tell you I'm, you're an idiot for even thinking about it? <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, we didn't. I mean, I'm like, I don't know. The only question was like, I guess I've heard this thing also that it's better for kids to get exposed earlier rather than later. So maybe on that regard, at least ask your pediatrician. That was it. That was the most that we were, would concede on this. It's so funny to me. I mean, we just handled this long question about a child being, you know, exposed to this like math computer game and how scary that is, right? But yeah, chicken pox, whatever. Please bring them over. We can't wait to <laughs> expose our kids to that. It was the dumbest I don't know. thing. I mean, it was, yeah, it was really weird. It was really weird to hear that like a school was like that this because that's the other thing about the question that was so strange is like the school itself was like hey could you please bring your child in and expose our children we were like, what, the fuck? what is that <laughs> what kind of school is that i yeah. believe I, and i also remember allison saying screw this school i think was the exact phrase she used which jumped out at me mm. so you know yeah all right. Uh, anyone who, who who wants to know the exact positions taken can, uh, of course, go back to the tape. Um, but uh, <laughs> let the record Let's make an show, infographic. <laughs> let the record show that Mom and Dad are Fighting Slate's Parenting Podcast is uh, fully recommends that you get all your kids vaccinated <laughs> right away, you idiots. <laughs> 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Time now for recommendations. A lot of people on the Facebook group have been asking, where can I find recommendations from past episodes? We have an answer to that. It's the Slate Podcast Endorsomatic. It's only for Slate Plus members. Go to slate.com slash endorsements and you will find a complete rundown of all of the recommendations we've ever made on this show, uh, along with recommendations from other lesser shows such as the Slate Political Gab Fest and the Slate Culture Gab Fest. Uh, you can search by host. You can search by show. You can search by date. You can search by type of thing. Uh, it's a great feature. It's only for Slate Plus members. Slate.com slash endorsements. So as for this week's recommendations, Rebecca, what have you got? Uh, I've got something uh, relatively new. I'm going to recommend the book, um, I Have the Right to, a high school survivor story of sexual assault, justice, and hope. Uh, this is by Chessie Prout, the victim in the St. Paul's prep school uh, rape case, and Jen Abelson, who is a reporter with the Boston Globe Spotlight team. What's interesting about this book, it is from Simon & Schuster, but it's under their teen imprint. And uh, I think it was written with a lot of care to have it really be as much in Chessie Prout's voice as possible. Um, I live and work very close to St. Paul's School, the newsroom that I uh, help run. We have done a ton of reporting on this story. It is a much more complicated story than you may have heard, um, you know, following it in national media. There are lots of factors involved. But what I really, really think is very interesting about this book, I think it's um, a book that both parents and kids can read, I'd say, you know, kids in their early teens, kids who read teen books. It really does do a, a good job of trying to make a very cut and dried case around uh, navigating the culture of uh, sexual assault and the culture of the, quote, it's complicated era. Jesse basically says over and over and over again, it's not complicated. Um, and I'm not an alleged victim. I'm a victim. Um, I, you know, shaming and bullying. She calls out all of that stuff. And she also embraces and tells the story about how she decided to um, unseal her own name and go public and uh, become an advocate and continue telling the story. So this is a conversation I think it's really important to have uh, with, you know, people who are with kids, with everybody, but especially kids who are entering high school. I think this is a book that a lot of kids will be interested to read. It's a good read. And um, I recommend it. It's called I Have the Right To. Uh, it's a memoir by Chessie Prout and Jem Abelson. And the subtitle is A High School Survivor's Story of Sexual Assault, Justice and Hope. Nice. Carvel, yes. what about you? I am recommending um, three movies which are unconnected, but we view them as a trilogy. And this is for teenagers and above or anyone that's interested in like growing up stories. So I'm recommending um, um, Real Women Have Curves, Boyhood, and Lady Bird, which I actually view as kind of a growing up trilogy. Each of these films borrow heavily from one another in terms of um, kind of like pace of life, slice of life, realistic representations of what it means for teenagers to become adults and all the complexities and confusions around that. My kids um, uh, have seen 
Um, the last two they've seen Boyhood. Ezra, George hasn't seen Boyhood, but Ezra like got really into it weirdly on his own. He just discovered it and, and then kept returning to it and going, Dad, this is such a great movie. Like, you know, and he, he recalls certain moments of it and he takes a lot of satisfaction in that. Then, as I mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago, we took both the kids to see Lady Bird, um, and which I feel like is in the similar vein. But both of those films owe a lot both plot-wise, creatively, and stylistically to Real Women Have Curves, which is an America Ferrer film in which she started. I think it was 99 or 2000 that film came out. So I view these as a trinity of growing up films for your teenagers who are interested in having and seeing new and specific ways in which their experiences can be represented on screen and and they can be seen and validated. Um, That is Real Women Have Curves, followed by Boyhood, followed by Lady Bird. So good. Great. You know, you know, you know what I love about those recommendations is um it takes there's no Kevin Spacey in any of them <laughs> because I think that uh you know for Henry especially for who uh for whom American Beauty was his yeah. favorite movie and and really spoke to like the the sort of inner teenage angst experience it has become so painful yeah. that you know he feels like he can't watch a movie starring Kevin Spacey in our living room anymore and so any movies that sort of have that same kind of like you know interiority of teenage life thing that don't have yeah. Kevin Spacey they have to go on the list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that it's you bring an interesting point, and like American Beauty is like does have that teenage thing, but it's also a little bit of a smarmy movie in a certain way. Yep. And I find as we go through this like long thing of like, can we appreciate the art even if we reject the artist? I keep finding that more and more it becomes obvious that the people who who do this kind of stuff, their work. There's evidence of it in their work on some level. It yep. doesn't land right. And <laughs> the people who make these things that like land in this complete way, there's a reason that the work lands that way. So I, I actually think it's not as hard to avoid the work of shitty people as some people like to make it out to be. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to recommend uh, not a product but a technique. This is a technique that I stumbled upon uh, soon before our Dude Time weekend began, but it basically got me through the the weekend with Leo, the the four-day period when when the rest of our family was on a trip. Um, The technique is you pretend to be a character called the monster who eats whining. (laughs) Whenever he starts to whine about something, I turn into the monster who eats whining, and I go like... Oh, yes, there's some delicious whining. Oh, I love that whining. And he thinks it's really funny. So he stops whining and starts laughing. And then the monster is like, oh, no, laughing tastes yucky and spits out all the laughing. Um, And it's impossible for him to whine when you are both like hungrily consuming the whining and also doing this ridiculous monster character. Um, We had been having some real whining issues uh, for a while. And and certainly for, for the past week, the monster who eats whining um, but doesn't like the taste of laughter has been the solution to the to the whining problems. I'm pretty sure it's one of those things we talked about earlier on this episode that is going to have an expiration date. And like at some <laughs> point he's going to figure out that he can just keep whining and, and uh, his whining can probably outlast my doing the monster impression. But for a good week and, and counting, um, it is a very effective anti-whining technique. So that's my recommendation Brilliant. for the week. Brilliant. That is really solid. And I also need to let you know that The Monster Who Eats Whining But Doesn't Like the Taste of Laughter is going to be the title of my memoir and subsequent biopic. So just prepare yourself for that. <laughs> nice. Because that's really good framing. <laughs> it's a great sentence. 
And that's our show. Uh, if you have a question you want us to tackle, you can call us at 424-255-7833. Uh, tell us what you thought of the show and of our opinions and of our parenting more generally at the uh, Slate Parenting Facebook group. Uh, just go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. This show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy. I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.